So three weeks left of the regular season. Does it feel yet like playoff time to you? Because it does to me. And when I start to feel this way, I want to rewind to Saturday in Tampa and Boston in a couple of moments. But when it gets around this time of year that we're under a month away, as I mentioned, three weeks left in the regular season, I start to do things on a consistent basis like wonder who looks good. Wonder who I should be talking about more. Uh, which teams are legit? Which teams are fool's gold? And how do you judge that? Now, one of the easiest ways, and this has always been an interesting predictor, is just simply at the end of the season or at any time during the season, if you want to get an accurate snapshot snapshot of how a team is doing, have a look at regulation wins. This will give you an indication generally as well. This is a wide brush statement of how a team is going to perform in the postseason, because as we know, in the postseason, there is no three-on-three overtime. Take those stats, throw them away. There is no shootout. Take those stats, throw them away. What are you left with? Regulation wins. So, uh, a couple of interesting things. No surprise at all around the NHL. Which team is number one in regulation wins with 49? Everybody knows this, right? It's the Boston Bruins. And another great weekend for the Boston Bruins. We'll get there in a couple of moments. We've got 40, 49 regulation wins. Also in the Eastern Conference, second by way of regulation wins. Again, throw away the three-on-three, throw away the shootout. That doesn't exist. Number two, the Toronto Maple Leafs with 37. Followed by the new uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. And then a couple of teams are tied with 34. The New Jersey Devils, congratulations on clinching a playoff spot and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, interesting when you look at the Western Conference, and this is really, remember someone from another team um, got me on to this one back in that, geez, I'm trying to remember what year it was, the year that Nashville upset Chicago, where Chicago, I think, was like number one in the NHL, at least number one in the Western Conference, and they got knocked off by the Nashville Predators, and everyone said it was a huge upset until you had to look at something called regulation wins, and you say, you know what? These teams are more similar than different. Maybe there's something there. Uh, top team by regulation wins in the Western Conference are the Edmonton Oilers over the Avalanche, over the Wild, over the Stars, over Vegas, over L.A. Wild one yesterday in the Los Angeles-St. Louis Blues game. Hope you stayed up to watch that one. Uh, over all of them, 37 regulation wins for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, the reason I say that it feels like playoff time is I have a feeling that I watched my very first playoff game, maybe you did too, on Saturday afternoon in Boston. The Tampa Bay Lightning-Boston Bruins game, to me, was the moment that the playoffs started. Or at least it felt like the playoffs started because that was very much a playoff-style game. And I'm not just talking about Hathaway and Maroon right, like, was it nine seconds in? Uh, and that scrum, that brawl at the, in, the, in the neutral zone. I'm not just talking about that, but the entire gameplay. A few things. You know you're getting close to playoffs when everybody finishes their check every single shift. And that's what we saw Saturday afternoon between Tampa and Boston. Um, there was a lot of skill on display. Victor Hedman scores a shorthanded goal. Patrice Bergeron scores. But the interesting thing about that game, one, it was violence. It was message sending. It was intimidation. It was high skill. Things that you expect when you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins. But also... And this is truly indicative, and maybe I'm reading too much into one game, but whatever, it's Monday and we're talking about hockey. The one thing that made it feel even more like a playoff game 
did it not feel like each team's top six kind of neutralized one another? That the top six on each team was kind of a wash and it was up to the bottom six. And in this case, the fourth line of the Boston Bruins with the previously mentioned Garnet Hathaway settling things and ending it for the uh, for the Boston Bruins. Big win there. And then they face off against Carolina the next day. And I know that Rod Brindamore wasn't thrilled about a couple of calls, but still uh, the Boston Bruins get it done again without Bergeron, Marchand, and Hampus Lindholm. Please feel free to have your conversations about resting players or load management, something that nobody wants to hear around the NHL. It felt like playoff hockey had already begun on Saturday. We're three weeks away from the playoffs. We have a huge game tonight on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Well, a couple of huge games. Um, one of them, the Florida Panthers facing off against the Ottawa Senators. Senators, we know, are a very tough out. The Senators, we know, love playing spoiler. And the Florida Panthers had a really tough weekend. That loss against the New York Rangers 4-3, to coupled with a big Pittsburgh Penguins win against the Washington Capitals, now sees the Cats three points back of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Technically, it's not a must-win game for the Florida Panthers, but it's a must-win game for the Florida Panthers. The other game, the Buffalo Sabres and the Montreal Canadiens, and if Buffalo beats Montreal in any fashion, we can really talk about Connor Bedard and the lottery for the Montreal Canadiens. Their tragic number will have expired. Welcome to the program. Let's get going. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up on the show, um, bottom of the hour, Darren McCarty. <laughs> Darren McCarty, former NHL forward, former Stanley Cup champion, um, musician, hockey player, author, and checks notes, professional wrestler. More on that coming up with McCarty at the bottom of the hour. Also, we have the return of the random player of the day, uh, Cassie Campbell-Pascal from the NHL on Sportsnet and Rogers Monday Night Hockey, and Joe Smith from The Athletic. We'll talk about a couple of teams, the Minnesota Wild and the Tampa Bay Lightning. In the meantime, here to talk about the uh, the latest headlines around the NHL is Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Hello, Frege. You know what, Jeff? I got to tell you, I did the first, uh, the first uh, route of uh, band pull-ups today. It hurts, man. Oh, okay. So, so this is it. So, Elliot and I talked about this Saturday before uh, before hockey night. So, explain what's happening with you and band assisted pull ups right now. Well, I'm trying a new workout routine to get into a bit better shape, and uh, basically, it uh, it's three phases. There's four weeks, then four yep. weeks, then four weeks, and it changes and. Uh, the, I finished the first month, and now I'm beginning the second phase. And one of the things is band pull-ups. And uh, you know, I told you I was going to do this, and you said, "Well, why don't you use a band?" I said, "That's yep. part of the part of it." And I, I yep. got to tell you, I did it today for the first time, and uh, I did I did three sets of ten. Now I will say they weren't the most perfect pull-ups I've ever done in my life. <laughs> That's okay. The band, That's okay. The band did help. But man, is it agonizing! <laughs> it hurts. Now, did you take so Kevin Bx and I talked to you about this on Saturday? Did you take our advice and practice just hanging yes. every day? Just just grab onto the bar and just hang. Well, I don't have a pull-up bar at my house. Like I don't have one here. So um, you know, I, I do the I do the workout three days a week. So whenever I go there, I'll probably do it there. 
but yes, I did do that and say, actually, I have to say it does feel good. I never really thought about it. Feels good, eh? Yeah, very good. Yeah, it's excellent. It's ex- it's excellent for you. Well, listen, best of luck in phase two. Uh, we all have our ways to get ready for the playoffs. They're now three weeks away, and yeah. I was mentioning this off the top. It, it started to feel for me, Elliot, on Saturday, and maybe I'm reading too much into one game, but why not? Here we go, you know, Monday afternoon yeah. talk radio. Um, the Boston-Tampa game felt like a playoff game, and now I'm starting to look at teams based on, you know, who's got a better, better regulation win-loss record. Uh, than other teams. It felt like this was the weekend where it got serious, it got real. I know we're still three weeks away, but it felt like this is the beginning of the playoffs, agree, disagree. Well, I I agree with that. I I think the Tampa thing, I think that goes uh, a lot deeper than uh, just the the game against the Bruins. I I think one of the things that's going on with Tampa is I just don't think that Cooper likes the way they're, they are going into the playoffs. You know, they, you know, they, they weren't playing well. They looked like they straightened themselves out with those couple wins against the devils. And then they started struggling again. And I, I think Cooper was just trying to get his team going, you know, like, you know, if you watch that, Maroon goes out there and Hathaway really doesn't look like he wants to fight, but Maroon basically says, I'm not giving you a choice. Like you, you have to go with me here. Yeah. So I, I think that was a tone setter. I think, you know, the lightning, we've talked about this a lot. They're one of the nastiest teams in the league. They're consistently among the league leaders in penalty minutes. And I think that was as much about reestablishing the identity of the lightning as it was as a message to the Bruins. I mean, the other thing that we had last week, Jeff, and this is why I agree with your overall point, is that we haven't had a lot of suspensions this year. We had two of them uh, on the weekend for cross-checks. Like, we haven't seen those kind of cross-checks much of the season at all. And all of a sudden, we got Greer on Hoffman, which, as we know, Hoffman didn't like, and then the one with Lazat and Morrissey, which I really didn't like on Saturday, because, you know, Morrissey offered Lazat the chance to fight him and he got cross-checked in the face. Um, so uh, I think that – I do think that it is ramping up. The players are getting like, – you, you can't just hit the switch at the start of the playoffs, but, but I think what you do try to do is make sure in the last couple weeks of the regular season you're kind of in the mode you want to be, and I don't see all of this stuff as a coincidence at all. Yeah, it uh, it very much feels that way. Um, more on the uh, on the weekend that was in a couple of moments, but this morning, um, the Philadelphia Flyers made a a significant announcement. Now, you've mentioned this in various places, even you know going back to the uh, the Daniel Briere hiring initially and the uh, the Chuck Fletcher firing. Uh, Dave Scott, the Philadelphia Flyers, announcing will retire at the end of the season as a chairman of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, Dan Helferty takes over, um, so he beca- he's also the CEO. Uh, he'll take over as the uh, the chairman and governor of the Philadelphia Flyers. So, yeah. workshop work, workshop something here with me. Let's let's test drive it. Let's test drive a theory and let's see if it lands anywhere with you. Okay. I look at this and say, this is why. Well, first of all, let's work on one assumption. We both assume that Daniel Briere will be the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers at some point. We're both on the same page about that one, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So my, the workshop here is, is this why they put the interim tag on Briere initially? 
I'm of the belief that if you put the interim tag on him and don't just hand him the general manager position, he can become more of Hilferty's guy than perceived as Scott's hire. Agree or disagree? It might be subtle. I don't know that I'm stretching, but I might be. You have a thought on this one? Well, you could be right, but I, I, I don't have any time for that kind of way of thinking. Like, I, like you could be right because I do think that that kind of stuff happens. To me, if the person is the right person for the job, don't do these hoops. Just put them in and say, that's our guy. Um, but, yes, like the one thing I have seen, and I've seen it in business, I've seen it in sports, that, you know, you say to the new person, okay, you get the chance to bring in the people or hire the people that you want, right? So, yes, I could see yeah. a situation where they say, well, prior to this, Dave Scott was still in charge, and we don't want him to say that Daniel Briere is his hire. This way, Hilferty can come in and he can confirm the hire, and Hilferty can say, you know, that's the guy I've hired. Yes, I, I, I think people overthink these kinds of things, but I, I do absolutely think it occurs. I do think that Briere um, will be the guy, like you, and I'm not surprised about this Scott news because, as you said, we theorize it's going to happen, and it's, and it's obvious that we're in a time of major change for the Philadelphia Flyers, and it continues uh, with this move as well. And uh, there's one more obviously yep. big move to happen, and that is who the president of Hockey Ops is going to be. Um, yes, but it it does feel as if this is very much sea change with the Philadelphia Flyers. Like we've talked about, you know, the new direction. I, I know they kind of flirted with that briefly with Hextall, but that was only so far they were willing to go. Um, it seems as if more so than ever, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers are committed to this. You talked about Cutter Goche last week, and you know he's going to go back to to college for another season. Under a previous regime, he'd be he'd be rushed to the NHL. Um, what do we read into this one? This one that we've seen coming, Dan Helferty now is the um, chairman of the Philadelphia Flyers. Well, I, I think what it means is, like, like you know, the one thing everybody's going out of their way to paint here is that Helferty is a big Flyer fan, right? Like, they, like you can tell mm-hmm. that the fans there are really disappointed. I mean, I mean you'd have to be, you know, uh, blind and deaf not to realize that the fans there are really disappointed. Um you know, just like it's, it, it, they, they are verbalizing it with everything they say and do. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that you have to be really out to lunch not to recognize that this is the case going on. And, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I just look at it like they want to know that the people in charge share the same goals as they do. And Hilferty clearly is a big fan. You know how Briere feels. Um, and I think that they're, they're on the way to accomplishing that. You know, it's obvious that they really trust Tortorella as well. And, um, you know, I, I, think that, uh, I, I think that they're trying to get themselves back into the fans' good graces, at least with the people in charge. And that's what they're doing here. And... You know, I think the other thing here, too, is that there's been a lot of talk about, you know, uh, Bill Barber and, and, and Paul Holmgren and, and Bob Clark. Yep. They obviously had a lot of clout under uh, Dave Scott, and we'll see what that's going to mean under Hilferty. Like, 
maybe he says, you know, this is not going to be a group that uh, I'm going to be tight with. Maybe I'm going to look in another direction. But, um, you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious here that the Flyer organization has seen the way that this is all unfolding. They've seen the way that the fans feel about where this is going. And they've recognized that there needs to be changes both in personnel and philosophy. And, you know, here's, and here's where we're going. And that's exactly what's happening. Now, um, the Philadelphia Flyers have eyes more to Bedard than the playoffs, uh, although technically they're still in. Their tragic number is at 7. Washington's tragic number is at 11. I want to get to Florida and Ottawa with you here in a second, but in that spirit, yeah. that game against the Pittsburgh Penguins on the weekend, big big win for Pittsburgh, creates some distance, some breathing room, but I can't help but thinking that that's the one that the Capitals had to have. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the one we're going to look back and say that's the game that eliminated the Washington Capitals. Much like I say, like, listen, Florida technically doesn't have to win tonight against mm-hmm. the Ottawa Senators, but if they lose, that's four in a row, and that's the one we'll look back on and say that's a squandered opportunity. Was that the last, oh, sorry, the, uh, the lost last chance for the Capitals on the weekend, the Penguins game? Well, I would tend to think so. Like, like I look at it, they're... As I like to say, their math is not good, Jeff. Um, they're six points out, and they've played more games than anybody in this playoff race, save the Islanders. And they're seven points behind them. So, and, and that was a tough one. They, you, you think they're at least getting a point out of that game. They're down 3 nothing. They battle back to tie it, and then they lose on the bad giveaway to Malkin in regulation. Yes, I, I thought there was a dagger. And the other thing, too, is, they also have two teams between them, right? They've got Buffalo with two games in hand, same number yeah. of points, and they've got Florida three points ahead of them with a game in hand. I, I just don't <laughs> – they've got really bad math. I, I, just, I just don't see it. You know, I think the other thing that's really happening there in Washington is, um, you know, all of a sudden there's a little bit of uncertainty about Peter Laviolette. And, uh, you know, he's in the last year of his contract – and, uh, you know, I thought that it was going to be a situation where he was going to get an extension because they were talking about it early in the year. And that trail has gone cold. So I think we're all kind of sitting here and wondering, what, what does that mean here? Um, you know, where, where are we going in this direction? And obviously we don't have clarity yet, but I think some of us are beginning to wonder about it uh, a little bit more. You know, we're wondering about, we talked about this on the, the podcast that just came out too, we're wondering about Yevgeny Kuznetsov, we're wondering yeah. about what the blue line is going to look like next season. Um, I think after Saturday, rightly or wrongly, people are probably also thinking about Anthony Mantha. That's, I know it's just one slice, but things haven't really um, worked out there the way that Mantha or the Capitals would have assumed or hoped. Mm-hmm. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of questions here with the Washington. I think this is going to be... A crucial offseason, as we've talked about before, this is a team that's still going um, to be constructed in a way to compete and bring Alex Ovechkin closer and closer um, to the uh, the Wayne Gretzky record. So there's a, as much as we talk about, you know, big decisions with other organizations this offseason, I think I'm kind of putting the Capitals right in that mix as far as big decisions for the future of this team. And I think, I think... 
no matter what decision they make, I think one of the factors that influences all of it is whatever we do, we have to get Ovechkin this record. Well, if you just look at their overall cap situation, um, they have, you know, they have a lot of flexibility out there, particularly on the blue line. Like I, I thought that uh, I thought Rasmus Sandin was a uh, was a very good was a very good yeah. gamble for them. You know, I, I really thought that um, that was a really smart, smart play for them in terms of the player they went and, and went after. Now, they have a whole bunch of guys. Like, they don't need to sign a lot of guys for next year now. They, they got JVR done, or TVR done, excuse me. Like, they've got their guys yeah. there, but they still have the ability, Jeff, to add a, a pretty highly paid player if they want to. So, like, that's a team I could see scouring the, the league for either a smart free agent signing or a trade where someone needs help out of a cap situation. I, and, and if they can move Kuznetsov, and I think that's still a pretty big if, but, you know, it really opens up a lot of flexibility for them. I, I agree with you. I think they're going to be a fascinating team because, look, like, McClellan's done his business. Milano, they signed him. Yep. Strom, they signed him. Uh, TVR, they signed him. He kind of knows, you know, some of the other guys he couldn't sign or didn't want to sign, they're gone now. And I'm really curious to see what this is all going to mean uh, this summer for them because mm-hmm. I'm with you. They're not in it to take steps back. No. Uh, I mean, I think all bets are off once Ovechkin gets the record, but right now it is still full steam ahead for the Capitals. Uh, in that spirit, tonight, Rogers, Monday Night Hockey, a pair of games. Listen, if Buffalo beats Montreal, that's it. They're officially eliminated. Um, you know, their tragic number is one. So Buffalo wins in any fashion, they're out. The other game is really intriguing. Ottawa Senators, um, who just love playing spoiler and we all know this hasn't gone the way that many of us thought for the Ottawa Senators, but we see signs of growth. They face off against mm-hmm. the Florida Panthers. Panthers lost a tough one to the Rangers, 4-3 on the weekend. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins picked up ground by virtue of the win we just talked about against the Washington Capitals. Technically not a must-win, but they've lost three games in a row, so is it a must-win for the Florida Panthers tonight? I, I just, yes, I, like I think it is. Now, I'm, I, I belong to the John Madden theory, which is John Madden, he would always go on Monday Night Football or whatever broadcast he was working on, and he would say, I hate the phrase must win because if you lose, does that mean you don't play next week or what do you do next week? Yeah. And so, like, I hate it when people defeat me with logic, right? I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> but so I've always been very careful about that saying. But look, like, look where we are, Jeff. They... They have a game in hand on the Islanders. They're four points back. By the way, I thought the Islanders had a really tough weekend. I, I thought they really had a chance to to do some damage there, and, and they didn't get it done. But they're they're four points back of the Islanders with a game in hand. They're three points back of Pittsburgh with no games in hand. Now, the one thing that Florida has really in their favor is the regulation wins. I think they're four up on Pittsburgh yep. with nine games to go. So Pittsburgh's got to beat yes. them, beat them outright. So, but like, 
again, like you got to have these games if you're Florida. Like the the Ranger game, you're up two nothing, and I know you're on the road, but you got to close that one out. You have to close that one out when you get up that one early. Like that was a lost opportunity. I'm I'm I I really thought you know the Leaf game. I thought they were going to take over that game, and then the Leafs just just wiped the floor with them. Um, you know, I, yeah. I again a bit of a lost week with them, and you cannot afford to have that. I felt you know what the one I wanted to see is I wanted to see Ottawa at least get a point against Jersey. They played those guys really hard, but not getting the point at all that that really hurt them. Hey, speaking of that game, um, you know, Jack Hughes gets his uh, his 40th, um, but Brady Kachuk and Miles Wood. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what people are thinking challenge, challenging Brady Kachuk these days, and he just seems to love every single bit of it. I don't know if there's a question here other than, do you have a comment about Brady Kachuk, who will see tonight face off, um, well, against his brother, Matthew? Well, I, I think the thing about Kachuk, and I talked about it a little bit on Hockey Night, not this past week, but a week ago, his teams say that, that they're real. Kachuk has gotten really good about policing himself. Like the one game someone talked to me about in particular was when Ottawa was in Seattle and they had the 3 nothing lead, like he was all over the ice. He was just killing people. Like he was just destroying the Kraken. And then the Kraken fought back and they tied the game. And he was kind of muted. He was like, I, I, can't, I can't do anything here that really hurts us. And... I think like that's the thing about Kachuk is you can't let him dictate the way he's going to perform in a game. Like you almost have to not take him out of the game, but take his nastiness out of the game. Like he's always going to be an edgy guy. He's going to be a tough guy to play against. However, he will tone it down a little bit when it's a points in the game where he can't afford to take a reckless penalty. And, uh, like, like Miles Wood, Jeff, you know, he's a tough guy. Holy cow. Did oh, yeah. Chuck, Chuck teach him the other night. Like, like, I, like <laughs> we, always, we always knew Brady Kachuk was a good player, but I think we've seen yeah. another level with the Senators now playing at least meaningful games. We're, we're really starting mm-hmm. to, like, the diamond is really starting to be polished. Uh, it is, and uh, I'm here for all of it. Brady Kachuk having an excellent season. Matthew Kachuk having an outstanding season um, for the Florida Panthers. I, I want to ask you about, we'll, we'll close up on this one, um, a number of signings, uh, college, uh, college signings on the, on the weekend as teams uh, were eliminated. You know, there was one player that over the last couple of years you and I kept going back on. Um, is he, is he not, will he, won't he, what's the dynamic here? Calgary's been burned by Harvard before, see Adam Fox. Um, you've always maintained, so I'll admit it publicly, you were right and I was wrong. Uh, you've always maintained that Calgary was going to sign Matt Coronado and this wasn't going to be an Adam Fox or, you know, Jimmy VC or whatever type of situation. Um, yes. What did you think of Calgary finally getting pen to paper yesterday with uh, first rounder from 2021, Matt Coronado? Well, I, I think it's really big for the Flames. There's, there's, there's no question about that. This has been a hard year out there. And I think if, if Coronado would stretch this out or there was any doubt that um, he was going to sign there, um, you know, I, I think some heads might have exploded out there among the fan base, like in scanners. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that that didn't happen. <laughs> 
for pouring out of the flames and the people whose heads were, would have exploded. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's a big one for them. Like, you know, the thing is, like, the Flames, the flame, I, I just remember hearing the story at the draft. The Flames really liked Coronado, but they said to him, we got to know. Like, we got to know if we take you, yeah. you're coming. And, you know, Coronado, um, like, the tough thing with things like that, Jeff, is circumstances change in two years. Like, you know, it, like, let's just say that it hadn't happened. It's not wrong for Coronado to say, this is what I feel now. And this is what I feel two years later. Like, it, it, it does happen in life where circumstances change. But ultimately, the, the kid didn't feel that way. I, like, I mean, I know some people who were worried, Flames fans. But, um, look, it, they were knocked out Friday. And, and, you know, he signed on Sunday. Is, that's a great timeline for them. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the promise. I think because he's 20. And forgive me if I'm wrong about this, but I think because he's 20, he doesn't need to play a game for the ELC to burn its year. It all depends on what year you sign at. But I'm curious to see if he gets a game here. Like, they're still obviously in a race. They're very much there. Um, I don't know that that means they'll put him in until we see where this all goes. But... Uh, I'm happy for the kid, and I'm happy for the team, and I'm happy for the fans. They were really worried. I think the other thing, Jeff, and you mentioned this, VC, Fox, um, you know, Harvard had a reputation, maybe it was undeserved, where kids, like you, you knew if you took a kid from there, you weren't necessarily getting them, right? Well, on this weekend, Coronado yep. signs, uh, Farrell signs, Laferriere signed with, uh, with the Kings, I guess now we can put that all to rest. Uh, Yes, we can so far. But, I mean, I do understand, you know, the lure of, you know, the degree from Harvard and then choose where you go. Like, it all kind of does make sense. And, listen, I know you and I are on the same page about this. I don't have any problem with any kid that does that. I don't don't either. problem with any kid that says, says, I'm going to go, I'm I'm going to take this. 100%. 100%. I don't buy the, well, they drafted you and you have a responsibility to, like, no. No, as, as long as the player is as upfront as possible yes. along the way. And, and even then, and, and even then, like, I mean, as I always remind people, like, teams trade players, like, sometimes out of the blue. Um, without yeah. the player having any advance warning, so like this is this is a two-way street here. So I have zero problem with uh, with kids doing that. Anyhow, uh, enjoy the hockey tonight. Um, Florida and Ottawa is certainly a big one on our network. Uh, part of Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Cassie Campbell Pascal joins me to kick off hour two. Thanks, Fridge. All right, Jeff. Have a great day. There he is, Elliot Friedman from Thirty Two Thoughts on Hockey Night in Canada.